Somebody had told me that you had mentioned maybe the Celtics being on that list. I just wanted to clarify. Uh, is that is that uh, on the list or uh, not 20, on the list? Uh, 29 other teams are on my Everyone's list. Everyone's on the list. I don't have a preferred destination. Um, like I said, I, I, I just want to win. You know, they actually big market, small market. I, I don't care. First thing he said was like, yeah, this is fun, but I want to. Are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with my co-host, David Ramil and the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. We're here after the All-Star break. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the biggest stories you need to know and what to watch for in this final stretch of the season including who has the inside track to win MVP, the latest drama between Anthony Davis and the Pelicans, and if anyone can emerge as a challenger to the Warriors. But let's start with those comments from Steph Curry, who during All-Star Weekend was caught on camera telling Mike Budenholzer that James Harden told him that he'd rather play the quote-unquote beautiful way of the Warriors as opposed to the way he's being used in Houston. David, is this something we should be making a big deal of? Uh, you know, I think it sounds a lot juicier than it actually is. I got the feeling in watching that clip that both Budenholzer and Curry were aware that they were mic'd up and, and are offering something a little spicy for us to break down during this stretch here where there aren't any games to actually talk about. But as far as Harden saying these things... Oh, I th- I'm sorry. I think they, they I don't think Steph was aware he was mic'd up. He did the whole turn away from the camera thing. Well, that doesn't mean that he doesn't know that he's got a microphone on him. I mean, at the same time, it's just... I think Budenholzer was wearing a wire. Okay. <laughs> so so he's narking on Steph Curry. That's interesting. Um, as far as what Harden said, I mean, that's all great. I'm sure uh, 450 players in the league would claim to want to play the style the Golden State Warriors do because it's successful. Because they, they think that they get a, a, a you know a, a ton of open shots available because there are so many other shooters and playmakers on that team. But let's be honest. I mean, it's all fine and good for Harden to say that, but he can't play that style. I mean, he's not going to fit into that system. He's not going to be the same kind of player that he is in Houston. And I don't know that he's willing to sacrifice as much. Maybe he'd be, you know, keen on on lightening the load, which we've talked about a number of times being considerable. And I'm not sure that he can handle that adjustment, to be honest with you. So I, I don't I don't see that it's a realistic assessment on his part that he wants to be able to play that style. I mean, certainly they're not going to do it in Houston. I mean, they've got their own style of play there that benefits it makes the most out of Harden's skill set. To for him to transition to the kind of player that Golden State can mold and build around, I, I just don't see it. So I, I don't read it too much into it. I know it sounds juicy. I just I don't think it's actually something that's realistic. Well, yeah, we should be real clear. Does is James Harden jealous of their style of play or the fact that Golden State has Hall of Famers at every position? Right, because you know that that's very. A key distinction. I actually think his game is more scalable up and down than we might think based on how he's been used in Houston these last couple of years. He's He was a pretty effective Team USA player, um, and he's a great three-point shooter. So if he wasn't you know, constantly being forced to be on the ball, I think he could still contribute in some pretty interesting ways. But I was down in Houston last week, and there, the, the reverse hypothetical was sort of floated to me. I, I asked somebody close to Harden, how many guys in the league could play the style that James is playing for Houston? And the answer came back as one player, and it was Steph Curry. So I'm curious, guys, do you think any part of Steph Curry mm. 
wishes he could have the reverse where he was able to just pound, pound, pound for 20 seconds, every possession, shoot 30 times a game, lead the league in scoring and, you know, chase Michael Jordan's points per game number from like 1987. You think any part of Steph uh, wishes he could be like James? I don't, I don't think that Steph's ankles wish that he could be like James. I'm a li- I don't think he can hold, that's the thing about Harden is he's, he's so huge. I just think he could, he could kind of, take the wear and tear and you know he's broken down in the playoffs before but I don't even think Steph could even approach what that is with that that kind of pounding the ball and that kind of usage I actually you know peak LeBron could have done that I don't know if LeBron with the the groin strain is capable of doing that um my kind of look I I, if James Harden is being if he's being real about this don't we we also think that Mike D'Antoni would love to play this beautiful game as well like if our if both Harden and Mike D'Antoni are on the same page it would make sense that they could do that. The only reason that they can't is because they sort of have to play this way. Ben, as you said before, it's not like James Harden get, gets to pass to Clay Thompson or Kevin Durant or has Draymond Green sort of manning the point guard position when so he could play off the ball every once in a while. You know, who's he going to pass to? Was it James Ennis earlier in the season? Mm-hmm. What Now, was, what's he got? Amon Shumpert? Like, it's just, I don't, I think the teammates obviously have a lot to do with it. Um, and if they could sort of just reconstruct this roster in a way that more resembles what the Warriors have, then sure. Like Harden, I think, would love to play that way. And Mike D'Antoni would love to go back and run that that kind of system. We know that he wasn't totally into playing isolation ball until he basically was forced into a corner and had to do it this way. So there, There's some body swaps that really wouldn't work that well. Like I, I've always done the hypothetical of what if we switched Russ and Harden and it's you kind of think, well, maybe both teams would actually suffer in that scenario. But if we did body swap... Uh, swap Harden and Steph Curry for this season, like at this exact moment, the all-star break is over and they just switch teams. Uh, I think it might take a little bit for James to adjust, but I still think the Warriors would be able to cruise to the title in that situation. And I think if you did put Steph Curry on this exact same Rockets roster, I think he's leading the league in scoring uh, and shooting, you know, five times more step back threes than he is currently. And he's he's the one who's getting, you know, accused of traveling for those little like, you know, pitter patter, uh, you know, step back threes. And you make a valid point. Like if he's driving to the hoop a lot, he's going to be taking contact he's not used to. But I, I could see him running a, a nice high screen roll with Clint Capella once he's back healthy for lob after lob after lob. I mean, frankly, this is a pretty fun alternate universe. I think I'd sign up for both sides of that. Over the final stretch of the season, I do think that there's three main storylines that are the most intriguing. The MVP race that is shaping up to be a good one. That weird breakup situation between Anthony Davis and the Pel- Whatever, uh, Whatever the opposite of a uh, long um, engagement is, that's what's happening in New Orleans. It's almost like a long breakup. Um, if anyone... And then if anyone emerges as a threat to the Warriors as the, the other storyline, let's start with the MVP race, though, which is pretty much down to Harden, Giannis, and Paul George, who, with 25-ish games left, do you think has the inside track, Ben? Well, I think uh, the voters are probably going to favor Harden. Uh, I think they should favor Giannis. I mean, I think he's got the strongest all-around case. I always look at you know the direct impact on team performance, who's having... Uh, the biggest impact on the highest performing teams. And when you look at Milwaukee, so complete, no real weaknesses, incredible offensive system built around Giannis and incredible defense with Giannis as their best defender. His stats are out of control. They'd be even better if he actually had to play 36 or 37 minutes a night. They blow teams out so regularly that he's really only playing 31 minutes a night. I think when we're looking at sort of the storylines, the major takeaway uh, stories from this season, if we're going to be looking back in five years, 
this year will be remembered for Giannis's breakthrough. I think that gives him some narrative points. Uh, and they've just been so consistent all year. There, there wasn't a slow start like there was down at Houston. Uh, they've just been absolutely crushing teams on a you know night in, night out basis. Incredible road record. Uh, I mean, there, there really is no weakness to his case. He's actually even improved a little bit as an outside shooter here over the last uh, month or two as well. Um, you know, I talked to their GM, John Horst. He's trying to float Giannis not only as the MVP, but as the defensive player of the year. I think that's pretty interesting. I could mm-hmm. easily see Giannis making first team all defense. And uh, when you stack that up against Harden, where the Rockets are good, but not great, and he's got the you know the most valiant player title for sure, given how well he carried them and, and what an incredible load uh, he was carrying. Uh, you know, he's got a case as well. But if I'm looking at overall team performance, you know, being a key factor, I've still got to give it to Giannis. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I would say that most of the players in Charlotte kind of tended to think of Giannis as the top candidate there. At least that's the sense that I got in, in Charlotte from speaking to, to the All-Star players and hearing them talk about the MVP race. It's kind of seemed like Adetokounmpo's numbers and the fact that his team has the record that it does uh, speaks volumes as far as his candidacy. And I, I kind of got the feeling that it was him in the lead as far as uh, as the MVP race is concerned, that there's kind of might be the perception, at least, that Harden's pursuit of 30-plus point games is more empty calories than anything else. Like, there's a respect there, but he's already an MVP winner, and I feel like they kind of, I don't know, want, would want somebody else to win the award a little bit. Not that they have any kind of animosity towards Harden or something like that, but I just, I got the I got the sense anyway that they were kind of leaning towards out of the couple. Maybe that doesn't mean much. And the media types, obviously, I, I feel uh, like you and, and I do personally, I think out of the is a top candidate too. So I, I feel like it, he's the, he's the or momentum has shifted considerably. And I think it's built up towards this point where he's probably the top candidate right now. Uh, the statistics, obviously, as you pointed out, Ben, back up that case but I, I just get the the feeling that there's a buzz about him being the top candidate for the MVP race which is you know it's we're talking about Adekumpo's strength and all-around game particularly defensively and if you're looking at that Paul George has a pretty good case as well so he, I mean, he's played some excellent defense over the, the whole season um, probably pretty underrated at taking over that Oklahoma City team I know we talked about that last week but I mean, he's been great all around. He's uh, a fantastic player, and he probably should be getting more attention, but I don't know if it's just because we don't expect much for the Thunder as far as the postseason is concerned. Um, But either way, he doesn't seem to be a legitimate candidate for the MVP. I think the All-Star break was really favorable to Giannis. It kind of gave people a chance to sit back and reflect and read Ben's piece that he wrote about why the Bucks are so good. So I think that's going to be a part of uh, Giannis's resume. Taking all the credit. Uh, So there's a little shout-out for you, Ben. Yeah. but look, I, I actually, people were kind of making fun of Giannis for his all-star GMing, like the the people he picked on his team. Wasn't it kind of obvious during the all-star game that everybody was deferring to him? Didn't he have like, didn't he have eight points in like the first few minutes of the, uh, yeah. of the all-star game? Did he draft game? that team he was, so he could get MVP? Is that what happened? It was just one of these, these classic that's kind of LeBron like GMing situations in real life where he builds the team to make himself look awesome? He, he drafts the most unselfish star in the league in Steph Curry so that he knows he's going to be... Like, I think there was a little bit of more of a strategy there than we're giving him credit for. And look, I do think that the media people that were there probably... And you guys could speak to this. You were there. Maybe appreciated the fact that Giannis actually tried from start to finish as opposed to just like the last six, six or seven minutes. Like, give us a show if we showed up in Charlotte in the first place. Like, we appreciate you, Giannis, for doing that. So I think he made some, himself some friends over to the All Star break, and uh, that should carry. That, that I think could carry him, and probably will carry him. And if if the Bucks win sixty games, and they're on pace to do so, 
and they're the number one team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, best record in the league with the uh, best player on the best team, supplanting LeBron James. So you get that uh, in the Eastern Conference. So you get that narrative going for him. I think it works. Um, hey Wes, but, just to underscore what you're saying, I mean, this was the highest profile moment of Giannis's career easily, right? I mean, I think these last couple of years, it's always been, hey, Giannis is coming, Giannis is coming. This weekend was a moment where it's clear Giannis is here right now. I think the stage in terms of even just having the team name, Team Giannis, having him get to do the draft on national television and joking with Barkley uh, and Shaq and Ernie and LeBron on that TNT special is huge visibility. And then also, you know, there was just this this moment when that game started where LeBron is just like unwrapping these pads and and this like basically gauze like from his body and kind of showing his age as he's doing it. Meanwhile, across the court, Giannis is just stalking around, his arms all flexed out, like looking like he's got that Russell Westbrook sneer on his face, like he's looking like he's ready for blood. He comes out in that first quarter and has like 16 points, eight, you know, eight for eight from the field, and you're just like, oh my gosh, uh, the future is now and. Even the way they were kind of packaging the game in the arena, you know, it was the kid versus the king. I mean, it's clear they're trying to set up this baton uh, pass. And I hope you guys are reading this uh, this mood correctly because he's a very deserving MVP candidate. My big concern is that the media voters, the guys who get to decide this thing, are just going to look at points per game. They're going to say, oh, Harden's the hero. You know, he's carried them through. What would they be without Harden? And they're not really going to drill down. Um, I hope it's a more nuanced conversation than that. I, I think there has been some really spirited debates here in recent years uh, over MVP candidates. And I think the more debate there is, I think that will favor Giannis because his case is so bulletproof. Is is Has Adetokounmpo become an established superstar among like peripheral fans? Like, Do you think he's the kind of name now that if you go to your, a typical household, maybe not one that's as devoted to basketball as we are, obviously, is he that kind of is he a household name at this point? Because I don't see it just yet, but I think he's getting there, and I, I don't think that's going to make much of a difference as far as the MVP race is concerned. But I'm just curious what you guys think about. I it. think he's getting there. I mean, I think that he's closer now than he's ever been before by a lot. I mean, this was a huge stage for sure. him, and you look at his All Star votes. I mean, he had more votes than everybody besides LeBron, right? So he might not be a household name like in Middle America, but he's definitely a household name among basketball fans globally. And I think we do have to kind of change our perception of what it means to be a basketball fan. I mean, if this guy's drawing, you know, millions of votes from Greece and all over Europe and Africa, I mean, those votes absolutely count too. And and I think um, that's one huge advantage he has. And, you know, we're entering a situation that my colleague at the Washington Post, Jerry Brewer, wrote about where if Giannis winds up being kind of the face of the NBA, it will be the first time an inter- international player has sort of ever held that title in a big time way. And he could hold it, you know, for three, four, five years here going forward through his prime. That's a very special opportunity from a marketing perspective. And that's why I have to keep calling Nike out. Can we please release these Air Giannis sneakers already? It's time. Like, yes. let's at least have them ready for that first <laughs> round of the playoffs, right? Absolutely. And look, I just, based on the, the all-star voting alone, yeah, he's a household name. I just, like, there's a difference between being a household, like a, a, a superstar NBA player and a celebrity, right? Like, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, James Hart, those guys are just celebrities. They are bigger than basketball. I don't know, Giannis obviously hasn't gotten to the point where he's bigger than basketball, not at least in, in the States, but he's absolutely, like, just... He was a captain. He needs to date a Kardashian, I think is what happens. No, 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 no. Careful now. Uh, That's the wrong life advice, all right? We're trying to keep Giannis (laughs) completely focused on bringing a ring to Milwaukee at this point of his career, all right? It led to an MVP for Harden, right? I mean... (laughs) 
Speaking of life advice, uh, Anthony Davis had a weird weekend. One of the bigger stories from the All-Star break was the, the scattershot approach that Anthony Davis took in talking about his trade demand. At one point, telling NBA TV that 29 other teams are on his list. So everybody but the Pelicans... Uh, ben, are you buying this? Well, here's the thing, guys. I'm going to take a little responsibility here because go back about two or three months, and I was, you know, once New Orleans' season kind of got off on the wrong foot, I was someone who actually encouraged Anthony Davis to make a public trade request. Uh, my reasoning was basically the same as Rich Paul's reasoning. Why wait if it's a failed situation? Just move on to the next chapter of your career. Let's get this thing going. Now, while I encouraged Anthony Davis to make a trade request, I did not encourage him to quit on his team, and I did not encourage him to throw the Pelicans fan base completely under the bus and then back over them with the bus about four times at All-Star Weekend. I thought his performance on Saturday was evidence that he's basically lost control of the most fundamental aspects of his career. He doesn't really know if he's going to be playing down the stretch of this season. This is a top six player that we're talking about. We don't even know if he's going to be on the court. He doesn't necessarily know where he's going to be playing next summer uh, after the trade happens. And he's basically saying now that his goal to play for a winner apparently isn't his goal anymore because he's willing to play for 29 other teams. Uh, And he doesn't seem like he has a firm sense of, when there's going to be resolution in this case. And, and I frankly not am not ready to trust anymore that he's kind of getting good advice and, and being, being steered in the right direction here. I'm not sure Anthony Davis was ready for this level of scrutiny at all. You know, I think if, if he rewound everything a couple months, I'm, I'm sure he would never admit that he would do it differently at this point. And he tried to say he's, you know, uh, zoning out and, and not listening to the critics and all that stuff and trying to take everything in stride. That's fine. But his reputation has taken a beating here over the last six to eight weeks, uh, and particularly here over the last couple of weeks since the trade deadline and the trade request in late January. And it's just a shame. I mean, it shouldn't have gotten this ugly. And I think he has to take responsibility. And I'm just tired of people treating him as if he doesn't really ha- like he's still this 18 year old kid who was on USA basketball and he's just along for the ride on the gold medal journey and everything's going to be roses in the future and everything else this is a grown man in the middle of his career who made a public trade request and it blew up in his face I thought he did a terrible job of, of handling it uh, over all-star weekend and I think it's going to cost him not only in that New Orleans market but it's going to cost him with casual NBA fans as well oh I have to agree 100 percent I mean it- I remember you guys telling me that the the reason for him to request a trade to Los Angeles was partly, or if not mostly, due to the, the getting the incredible exposure that playing in Los Angeles affords a player like Anthony Davis, and and this is the wrong kind of exposure, and it's just it's sad to kind of see this all happen. And I know what you're saying as far as kind of maybe excusing that behavior because you, there's a tendency to kind of view him as a, a youngish player, um, but it's it's still. It's not sad necessarily. It's just odd to have seen this fall so apart so quickly and so easily. Like how how you mismanage this whole situation, whether it's you or a combination of you and your agent, whether or not you just dropped this completely and didn't have the foresight. Look, I mean, one thing that I think gets neglected a lot when you talk about LeBron is, you know, his ability to read a situation and manipulate it as well as possible. I mean, with the exception of 2010 and the decision, which I think was overblown com- completely, yeah, maybe that's just a Miami bias on my part. But either way, I, I feel like he's been able to just understand how to, to turn a public perception in his favor. And Anthony Davis, working together with Rich Paul, ironically enough, has just completely misread how to, to handle the situation. So 
As far as the 29 other teams, I mean, I don't think that's realistic. I, I think he's he's saying that because he doesn't know what else to say. And so if you're going to make an excuse for him, it's it's that he's completely lost at this point. He's not sure exactly how to answer it. He's backtracking completely. Uh, and he's just saying something that he thinks is going to appease the public and, and maybe get everybody you know to turn back in his favor. But it doesn't seem likely to happen. Yeah, he time. can't keep his story straight, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, he keeps digging himself into a deeper hole, thinking that somehow this new answer is going to like switch the narrative. That we're just going to sort of forget what he had been saying before. That like, oh, that's cool. He's not that playing for mind. Charlotte, yeah, all right. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, he's, Here, it's not. That's here's not my happening. new advice for him: take another fine and just flat out tell us which teams you actually want to play for and why. <laughs> just be honest about it. On and not it's not yeah. what your dad has to say about the Celtics. It's not what Rich Paul is going to tell Woj. In that big Monday morning, you know, breaking news thing about, you know, wanting to win. He's got a list. We know he's got a list. He confirmed it and then he backtracked and everything else. I think honesty is the is the prescription uh, that will work best for Anthony Davis at this point. It'll probably bring another slap on the wrist from Adam Silver. But that's better than looking like uh, a jerk and, you know, kind of a two-faced mm. double talker uh, on the biggest moment of the season at All-Star Weekend. It's not that he requested a trade. It's how he did it. And this is the closest thing that we've gotten to to the Dwight Howard situation in Orlando. Mm. Is he opting in? Is he not taking an extension? Does he want to go to the Lakers? Does he want to go to Brooklyn? Like this this is the closest thing to that Dwight Howard situation. And it's not that like, no, dude, we get it. Like you want to leave Orlando the Orlando Magic. We understand why. Like no everybody like you said, Ben, you were basically asking Anthony Davis to demand a trade, but we're like, don't do it this way. Just Look at how Paul George got out of Indiana. He just told management, I'm not re-signing here. I'm going to L.A. And then he ended up getting traded to Oklahoma City, and now he's there. And it's just like everybody's like, all right, yeah, it's cool, Paul George. Whatever you want to do, man, that's great. But it's he was just clear in his intentions. And you can always change your mind down the road, but Anthony Davis had to be clearer about his intentions, and he's just been wishy-washy this entire time. I think he should at the um, very least reduce it to like 27 teams. He does not want to play for the Suns. He does not want to go home and play for the Bulls, okay? Like we have to at least edit that part of it, don't you think? And just narrow it down to the Miami Heat. <laughs> okay. And that's about it. That will be good. Uh, the Warriors could face a familiar rival in the Western Conference Finals. It's not who you think it is. That's coming up next. The Western Conference is really interesting. You've got the Nuggets, who have been near the top all season. Of course, they're still hardening the Rockets, but the Thunder have been picking up a lot of steam going into the All-Star break. Thanks to their defense and Paul George's MVP-level play, should we be taking them seriously as a threat to the Warriors? David, what exactly are we doing here? I, I can't realistically take anybody as a threat to the Warriors. I mean, with the exception of any kind of major injury. Um, and I, I think we're, you, you, there's a tendency to look back at their performance against the Rockets last year in the Western Conference Finals. And I never quite got the sense that they were really scared. I know we've heard that they were concerned about the Rockets and things of that sort. I, I never got that feeling myself. I think that was just more them kind of just waiting for a wake-up call and then realizing it and, and, and taking advantage of the situation. As far as the Thunder are concerned, yeah, I think they're legitimate challengers, as, as much of a challenge as any team could present. They play the, the kind of defense. They've added depth right now. They've got a good team overall. They've got bigger bodies there that can challenge some of Golden State's players. They've got some top-notch scoring. And of course, they've got an MVP candidate in Paul George, as we talked about before. So I think all the ingredients are there for the kind of team that could be dangerous, but just you know ultimately fall short against a historically good Golden State team. I mean, we're all, we're all looking at second place at this point, and I, and I think Oklahoma City is as good an option as any. 
Wes, pump the bricks, all right? Let's see this Oklahoma City versus Houston Rockets, uh, Rockets matchup first, right? I mean, that's the series I want to see. I still think big picture Houston's the sleeping giant. When they get Capella back, uh, Paul is back up to speed, slowly working there. I think they present more matchup issues or at least a better matchup for Golden State top to bottom uh, than the Thunder do. But I would, I mean, I think the Thunder versus the Rockets, you know, has seven game series back and forth written all over it with just all sorts of different yeah. storylines. I think the Golden State might actually just kind of be licking its lips at the prospect of playing Oklahoma City. I mean, don't you think they would adopt the Westbrook rules, which would be basically the opposite of the Jordan rules, aka take whatever shot you want, Russ, go ahead and shoot your team out of the series by shooting 24% from three-pointers and you know jacking up all these crazy jumpers while Paul George stands and watches you. And uh, I kind of think that would be Golden State's approach. And I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and, and kind of like a you know, a, a dismissive uh, jerk on this end, but I don't know. I mean, I think Gold State would be just fine taking on the Thunder. I, I think you look at what's bothered the Warriors in the past, the Thunder in 2016 in, that, in those conference finals, obviously pre-Durant uh, for the Warriors, uh, current like during Durant's time in Oklahoma City. They had a lot of length, and I think that's what bothered the Warriors. And then even last year against Houston in the conference finals, you know, we could talk about James Harden, Chris Paul, and, and Chris Paul's injury all you want, but it was really their ability to switch everything and, and the length of guys like Mba Mute and Trevor Riza and Clint Capella that really bothered the Warriors offense in that series too. The Thunder have length. this They have a lot of length this year. So they kind of have that one ingredient that works. And then they have a go-to scorer like Paul George. But Ben, you're right. Like Russell Westbrook is sort of the ceiling for that team. And I don't super, like that's kind of a rickety ceiling. Like I don't, I don't super trust him. I think it's really easy to just bait him. The guy put up 20 shots in the All-Star game. He I didn't I think he attempted more shot he had attempted more shots than anybody in that All-Star game like midway through the fourth hey, quarter before he finally got what, taken out. Was, let me ask you, how much did that All-Star game performance change change your opinion of the Thunder? Because I feel like their stock was really high like 48 hours ago and then that <laughs> Westbrook shooting performance like shot them out of the everybody's playoff dreams. I think it just reminded everybody just like, "Oh, that's right." That's right. This is what he does. Um, like on a big stage, this is sort of his mo. Um, no, I'm. That's that's why I asked this question. I just or the the Thunder seem to be like the 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 second Western Conference team in the moment. You know, we've had times where we've put Houston up there. We've had Denver up there. Mm. Um, you know, before the season, I think a lot of people were kind of propping up the Utah Jazz in that situation, but. I kind of wanted to know, like, are we should we be taking them seriously? Yes, and, I mean, we we should. Look, I, I mean, I, if, if we're looking at them versus Denver yeah. uh, or Utah, um, to me, I would take Oklahoma yes. City in those series. And we and last year it was the opposite. I took Utah over Oklahoma City without much reservation, and it played out, you know, pretty much uh, according to the script that I expected. But I think Westbrook has been playing a, a smarter game, you know, distributing this season. I think he's playing harder on defense. Uh, you're right to mention their versatility and length and just intensity on the defensive end. They've got good cohesion among their core guys. The fact that Carmelo Anthony is no longer in the picture makes them significantly more difficult to match up with in the postseason just by the fact that he's not on the court. You can't pick on him. So, uh, you know, to me, I think that they're a top three team in the West. I would take them over Portland in a series and those other teams I mentioned as well. I think it really comes down to me. If Can they be that number two team? It's them or Houston. Right now, I take Houston. I agree. Or, yeah, I think I agree. I don't know. I'm not really sure. we got 25 games to figure it out, but that's all we have for today. Thanks for subscribing to Locked on NBA. If you like us, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on NBA for the latest episode. We'll be back here next Tuesday, and you can catch us over at Locked on Heat for the rest of the week. 
Thanks to Ben Golliver for jumping on. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post. Thanks for listening. 